Y'all know I am a doubter when it comes to essential oils. I've told you before, but Simply Earth Essential Oils have made me a believer. Why? Well, it wasn't just me figuring this out. It was my wife and I. And what we've been using is the Simply Earth Essential Oil Recipe Box. Now, it's kind of like a, you know, a meal subscription kit, except you can't really eat it. Uh, they send you four essential oils, pure essential oils, six recipe cards, and tons of extras. And you guys, um, we've begun to learn how to mix our own essential oils and making the recipes created by certified aroma therapists. And we're saving money and detoxifying our life. I'm telling you guys, this could be the thing that you finally step into when it comes to essential oils and says, I like this. This is what you guys need to do. You guys head over to simplyearth.com slash human hope. That's simplyearth.com slash human hope. And when you sign up for Simply Earth Essential Oils recipe box, you guys are going to get a free 80 milliliter diffuser when you subscribe at our URL. Simplyearth.com slash human hope. What is good, Human Hope Familia? Welcome back to another episode of Human Hope. And I am so glad I said another episode because after 38 weeks in a row, that's right, last week I took a week off. And listen, I enjoyed my week off. I, I, I had my Thanksgiving turkey without wondering. I wonder if my podcast uploaded correctly. So after 38 episodes, it was nice to take a week off, but I'll, I'll be honest, I missed it. I missed hanging out with you guys. I missed you guys hearing from some of my friends and Today, we've got another fascinating conversation from up north, and I'll clue you in on that in just a second. But uh, for those of you around here, my name is Carlos Enrique Whitaker Guzman and Chibokabel, or Los for short, and I'm the host of the Human Hope Podcast, uh, where I try to bring some hope to humanity in various shapes or forms. Um, this week, the conversation that we're going to be leaning into <laughs> this has been a long time coming. You know, my friend, Carrie Newhoff, um, I probably am recognized more from his podcast than any other podcast I've ever been on. He has one of the most successful leadership podcasts uh, on Apple Music, on Spotify. You guys should definitely go check out Carrie Newhoff's podcast. But when when I went on his podcast, that's when, um, when I went deep, right? Like, like I went, I told him, the pits of the pits of despair in my life. I let him know what happened when I lost everything. Now, um, I've actually talked about that story here on the Human Hope Podcast. I talked about losing absolutely everything. Um, episode 23, how forgiveness healed more than just my marriage. That's a great episode if you guys want to go back and listen to that. I talked about there and then I talked also about it on, I want to say it was episode... 20, no, episode 18, uh, where I talked about how I lost my entire family because of bad decisions I made about a decade ago. Now, good news, spoiler alert, family's back. You guys follow us on Instagram. Uh, everything is good, but it wasn't always that way. And Carrie is somebody that I trusted enough to have the deepest conversation I've ever had on a podcast about it. He asked some really difficult questions, uh, but they were questions that Apparently, a lot of people needed to hear because because of that podcast, um, I've gained so many new friends uh, because they heard my story on Carrie's podcast. So all that to say, Carrie is just a trustworthy person. I trust him with the deepest parts of my soul. He was, uh, uh, she, he is a pastor, but he was the founding pastor of a church up north of Toronto. And today we're going to lean into something that affects. I mean, I'd want to say something that affects almost everybody and they they just don't know that it does. You know, people talk about anxiety, people talk, talk about depression, but what people don't talk about is burnout and how that's probably the leading cause of our anxiety and depression in 2021, in 2020, because we're going so hard and Carrie is so vulnerable with his story on burnout. Um, we're, we're just, we're going to, we're going to hop right in and he's going to help a lot of us that are either burned out by the church a lot of us that are deconstructing our faith, if you're deconstructing your faith, we talk about that. Even if you're not deconstructing your faith, what it looks like to maybe do church the wrong way, 
do church in a way that's unhealthy, that creates burnout, that creates moral failures, that creates all these things. We talk about that. We also talk about Canada. <laughs> Listen, we give Canada a big segment here. We talk about Canada. Uh, and then and then he gives us just some tips and some tricks on how we can overcome burnout. This isn't just burnout of church leaders. This is burnout. You could be a stay-at-home mom, and there's a lot of stay-at-home moms that are experiencing burnout right now, and they just don't even know it, right? There's a lot of students right now that are experiencing burnout, and they don't even know it. This isn't just for a corporate executive, female or male, that's leading high-capacity leaders. No, we are all in a season of life where we can burn out if we're not careful, and I'm so grateful that Carrie hopped in the Human Hope Podcast uh, to help us not burn out. Amigos y amigas, sit back and enjoy this conversation with your new friend, Carrie Newhoff. So official. Okay, Human Hope, amigos and amigas, I am here with my longtime friend, Carrie Newhoff. Carrie, say what's up to the Human Hope family. Hey, what's up? Carlos, it's so good to be with you on your show. You've been on mine a few times, and it's I just know. nice to. Like I you know, got this listen. big deal podcast. It's so fun. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yours is definitely a big deal. Let me tell you why. I need to tell everybody why I know Carrie's podcast is a big deal. Because whenever I go on Perry, Carrie's podcast, I could go on the Oprah Winfrey show and not sell as many books as when I go on Carrie's podcast. Carrie's people, Carrie moves the needle. Okay. I just need to it's let a you tribe, know, Carrie. Dude, it's a tribe. Dude, I'll your tell people you, they're are amazing. In they are they are all in and uh it's st- it's still a month does not go by that i end up somewhere and someone's like hey i heard you on uh carrie's podcast and i'm like i just love it i just love it man <laughs> and we're so, due for a new one because i think the last time it had to be pre-covid because we were yeah. i'm in i'm in um well actually i'm near oceanside right now and i think we were in oceanside yes. or vista or something like that and i remember recording an episode in person with you yep and uh, so it had to be pre-covid it, it, anyway. was, it was out. We are, we are, yeah, so we are you're, due, you're due. But you, but you are on my show right now. Like you are I in am. my house. I am so grateful that you are here. Uh, let's, let's, let's go somewhere that I, that I want to go, uh, at the very beginning of this conversation. I need, I need all of the Canada in you to tell me why Canada is so amazing. I love my <laughs> Canadian friends and bro, like, like you are the epitome of what a true Canadian is. Talk to me, bro. Like, like, tell me about what, well, what is, what's so amazing about Canada? You know, we're an interesting group of people. I'll tell you that. First of all, we just saved the world with maple syrup. We yes, apparently, you did. did you hear that? Like, it's like, it's I happened did. a couple of times now. And I'm like, you can't make this stuff up. It's like, I'm always trying to get out of stereotypes. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we're playing right into a stereotype. It's like, yes, we do have... <laughs> global reserves of maple syrup that we are now distributing to America because of the global, the, the maple syrup crisis here. Yeah. So there's that. I don't know. It's really interesting. I think, um, we have a reputation for being nice Yeah, and people tell me that, that I'm nice. I'm like, well, I hope so. Do you really know me? Um, I think we're a little bit, and we'll see, we'll see how many Canadian listeners okay. you have, because you may, you may get some mail on this one or some yeah, comments. Yeah. Okay, good, uh, good. I think we're passive aggressive. I think we're a little oh. insecure. Okay. Our identity is defined on what we're not. So we're not British because, well, we didn't, we didn't have a revolution like you guys did, right. but we're, we're sort of connected to the crown, but not really, but we sort of right. are. We're definitely not American because we're, we're envious. Like you guys seem to do everything so big and so huge. Yeah. And so we're not that, but then it's like, what are we? And yeah. so there's hockey, but I'm one of the like six Canadians who doesn't oh, play really? hockey or watch hockey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if my sons are around, I'll watch hockey with them. Yeah. But like, I just, I, I played when I was a kid and it wasn't a lot of fun. So what do I love yeah. about my country? I love the people. I love the topography. Yeah. I love the history. It is actually really yeah. an interesting country historically. Uh, I love living there. The people are yeah. great. So people, people often think I live in the U.S. Well, I'm in the U.S. right now because I'm sure. here so often. But we really love going home, friends, family. Um, I love the four seasons. Like we get four actual yeah. seasons, which is really nice. And yeah. um, and it's very diverse. Like America is a whole bunch of little countries, right? Like uh-huh. New England uh-huh. is not SoCal, is not Atlanta, is not Nashville, is not Seattle. And sure. Vancouver is not Calgary, is not Toronto, is not Montreal, is not 
Halifax. And yet there's something that knits that all together. So I don't know. I'm kind of rambling. I love it. Uh, No, this is, this is, this is perfect. Just because, you know, I I think I do have, I actually do have a lot of Canadian listeners and Mm. you know, I I think, I think a lot of times when it comes to Canada, Americans, we don't even know what to think. Like, it's like, well, right. yes, it's a country, right? Yes. But are they oh. proud to be Canadian? Like, are oh, they, Canadians are very know? sensitive about that. Like, yes, if you talk you know, to an American and it's like, you know, it's a classic thing. Like, oh, yeah, Carrie, you're from Canada. I know this guy in Vancouver. Any chance you know him? Like, Canadians yes. get very offended by that. But then here's, because I thought about that for years, speaking in the U.S. and leading in the U.S. and that kind of thing, uh, while leading a church in Canada and doing all my stuff, like my home base is still Canada. Yeah. But then also I started saying to Canadians, okay, name the, the uh, governor or prime minister of Ecuador. And they're like, yeah, no idea. What kind yeah. of government system does Ecuador have? It's like, no idea. How about Belgium? <laughs> Can you do Belgium? Like who's leading Belgium right now? It's like, oh, <laughs> what kind of parliamentary system do they have? They're like, oh, yeah. and I'm like, right. so you can't necessarily blame or, or they're like, yeah, but we're right next door. Okay. How about Mexico? Who's the president right. of Mexico? Right. And how does their legislature work? And they're like, ah, we don't know. And I'm, I'm not sure yeah. I know the answer to any of those questions right now either. So right. it's almost, but because the U.S. is so huge and was a global superpower, is a global superpower, uh, yeah. you know, we kind of know who the president is. We know who the senators, sure. the key senators and Congress people are. And as, as Pierre Trudeau, Justin Trudeau's father famously said a generation ago, he said, when the elephant sneezes, the mouse catches a cold. And so ah. we feel like the mouse and America is the elephant. And ah. so we have to know about you and yeah, but Canadians sure. can get upset if you don't know about us. But I would just say to Canadians listening, we have the same problem. Like we don't, we don't know who's running Norway. Nobody. Right, we know right. they have a lot of Teslas. Uh, that's about <laughs> it. What else do we know? And I've been to Norway, so right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it, man. That is, that is so good. Yes. So to all my Canadian listeners, this is, this is some Canadian love for you today. As Carrie is <laughs> on here. What, what part of Canada do, 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 does your big green egg reside in that I see it you resides on constantly? One hour North of Toronto. So okay. we live in a little tiny community. I, I, I rarely talk about because even people who live in Canada don't know where it is. But I yeah. live in Oromodonte. It's a township. Uh, we live just across the street from a gorgeous lake, Lake Simcoe, oh, awesome. uh, between Barrie and Aurelia. It's about an hour straight shot north of Toronto. And we've lived there for over 25 years now. Wow. Wow. Uh, well, you know, as you've lived there for 25 years, Carrie, you... Um, you know, I, I guess as I've known you, I've even seen an evolution of kind of who you are and, you know, continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to tap into that um, a little bit later. But oh, I, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about um, about your your time pastoring a church, uh, a, you know, not 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 a Canadian church, just a church in general. Right. Like I just want yeah. you to because because and this is where I just just I don't just want you to tell us a story about that. What I want is people know that people trust me with with their um I don't, I don't know, maybe they're faith stories. Like people come mm-hmm. to me with maybe some broken faith stories and they know that I, I, I only bring to them people that I trust. And I really do. Like I, right. I trust your heart. I trust your heart for people. I've, I've seen you uh, fight for the oppressed. I've seen you advocate for the brokenhearted. And so I, I need people to know that, that yes, Carrie's a pastor. Um, but also like you're one of the pastors that, that I trust I would send my my friends that are like, you know what? I'm done with church. I'm, mm. you know, they're, and, and they're, I've got a lot of friends like that. I, w- I would send them to you and I'd be like, you you can trust this guy. You can trust this guy. So tell me a little bit about your past with the church and maybe kind of your current, uh, your current place within the church. Well, I appreciate that a lot. You saying that. Yeah. You know, Canada in many ways is 20, 30, 40 years ahead slash behind America. So, you know, America, I think, is rapidly becoming post-Christian, which is why you hear so many deconstruct, like deconstructing their faith, walking away from faith, all those stories that have populated the American landscape over the last decade. That happened in my childhood. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember growing up in the 1970s and early 80s, and I have this very clear image of me, I'm probably 15 years old, so it's around like early 80s, and I'm standing on the steps of our porch, uh, of the, of the wow. porch of, of, of the, the front steps of the church, I should say. And I have this sinking realization that I'm like I'm one of two kids in my high school who goes to church. And I don't wow. know, that was, that was the beginning of a call, because uh, I didn't really think of going into ministry until halfway through law school. I felt uh, I went on to be a lawyer. And then it was in law school, I felt 
this this call to ministry. But I feel like in many ways, um, number one, my call to ministry was totally out of the blue. So I was a kid, grew up in a Christian home, slid away from my faith, not fully. Like if I died in a car accident, I wanted to go to heaven, but like barely yeah. it was insurance. That was it. It's like, I'm going to live the way I want to live, <laughs> but like God have mercy on my soul in case anything bad happens because hell doesn't sound great. And so I wanted, I, that was sort of my spirituality. And then in my early twenties kind of went, okay, the jig's up. Like, I'm either going to follow Jesus or forget about it. I'm either like yeah. Nietzsche, I studied philosophy. So I'm either like an existentialist and there is nothing or, or it's Jesus. And I started reading the Bible and praying and I promised to do it for six months. And at the end of the six months, I'd make a decision and didn't take six months, started reading wow. the Bible. And I'm like, this is the most true thing I've ever encountered. Rededicated my life to Christ, but no thought of ministry. So okay. grew up in kind of an anemic. Well, actually, I was part of a strong church. I had some really good preachers in my teen years that were very formative. And um, but like an anemic church culture in Canada now. What you're starting to see in the U.S. That's what I grew up with in okay. you know the '80s and '90s. So long story short, um, it was in law school. I felt this, and I'm not charismatic. I have a Presbyterian background, but like supernatural okay. call to ministry. And I know you believe in that. You've written about it. Um, you know, the whole supernatural side. And then yep. started out in ministry and it was like, I came to three little churches north of Toronto and they had been moribund for decades. So they were all 19th century churches that were hanging on like they're golden. They didn't really even have a golden era. It was like that little stereotypical, think of a New England church that's got 25 people in their seventies coming on a, on a, on a Sunday wow. morning. Yeah. And I got called there and one of them had an average attendance of six. Another was 14 oh my gosh. and yeah. the mega church had 23. So I do the circuit on Sunday morning yeah. <laughs> and it was like, okay, it's time to like reach out. And we started making a lot of changes, but who I met is people like your listeners is yeah. there were so many de-churched unchurched people in Canada in that area. And we lived like my, my friends joke with me. It's like, how do you grow a church here? You guys have cows for neighbors. I'm like, yeah, but we baptized some of those bovine. Like we did. Let's so, <laughs> you know, yeah, we, we, we don't have a lot of people. It was a rural, rural County, but we saw the church grow and we drew from cities nearby and eventually from sure. Toronto and things like that. But, you know, we grew to seven or 800 and then morphed into Conexus. And now we're 1500 pre COVID, whatever we are today. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of those are unchurched people and they just have yeah. stories and they got hurt by the church. They uh -huh. went to church and didn't understand. We heard that so many times from people who are like, you know, I grew up in church, but I had no idea what, what any of this was about. Or they got a divorce or they got yeah. pregnant early or there was something that went on with their life where a bunch of Christians looked down their nose at them and we became like a refuge for people like that. Wow. Plus atheists, wow. you know, who yeah. changed their mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, I, I, um, I've got, uh, you know, I do, I do have a lot of atheists. I've got a lot of, mm. uh, again, people that, that are deconstructing their faith. And uh, what I try to do is I, I see a lot of evangelical America just, you know, freak out like, Oh my gosh, like people are deconstructing their faith and Holy crap. Like, you know, what's happening. And I, I try to tell people like, you know what? Like, I feel like we all do this. It's at some point in our lives. Mm -hmm. Like I would hope that everybody is going to take what they've learned and put it to the test and, you know, take it apart and put it back together. You know, I, I tell people, even me as a faith leader, quote unquote, whatever you'd want to call me, like I've deconstructed my, it may have looked differently um, than, than how you're doing it. But a lot of times I feel like people are not necessarily deconstructing their faith. What people are doing is deconstructing the church and and hmm. and and what the church is. So maybe Pastor Pastor Carrie here. I'm I'm, I'm going to put the Pastor <laughs> Carrie on you. What, okay, could you help somebody that that maybe has had some church wounds as opposed to faith wounds, and 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 maybe what the difference yeah. is between those two things. What did I say? Carrie is coming hard. And before we hop back into the conversation with Carrie, I do want to take a minute and talk about one of our show sponsors that you guys know I love. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. You know, we talk a lot about BetterHelp on the show, and this month we're discussing some of the stigmas around mental health. 
Like for example, some people think that you should wait until, until things are unbearable to go to therapy, but that's actually not the case. Therapy is a tool to utilize before things get worse. I tell you guys this all the time. This is like upkeep. It's like going to get your tune up and it can help you avoid those lows. And a lot of people, right? They think that therapy is for crazy people, so-called. But therapy doesn't have to mean that something's wrong with you. It means you recognize that all humans have emotions and we need to learn to control them, not to avoid them. I love my better help therapist. I love my therapist before BetterHelp. I use BetterHelp and I believe it can be helpful for you too. It is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's way more affordable than in-person therapy. So you can be matched with the therapist in under 48 hours. Listen, give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. And this podcast, since we're sponsored by BetterHelp, Human Hope listeners get 10% off their first month of BetterHelp. So go to betterhelp.com slash human hope. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash human hope. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Every single spring, that first day that I walk outside and I see that yellow dust all over my truck, I'm like, that is Satan's dandruff. It destroys me. I legitimately can't go outside for longer than three minutes because my eyes get swollen, my eyes get puffy, my nose gets congested, and I just simply can't breathe. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure with Ease. When I started taking Claritin D about two months ago, I can finally get back outside and play pickleball again, which is what I love to do, but I couldn't do it because my allergies were so bad. Claritin D has legitimately allowed me to go outside again. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. There are so many church wounds. And the first thing I would say is, I'm I'm sorry. And I probably yeah. inflicted my share um, over the years as well. And so I was thinking about that this morning. I went out for a 5K run and I was listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And, yeah. you know, that's a very chilling saga that, that you know, that, that journalism, it's haunting. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, I definitely hurt some people along the way too. And, you know, what, I'm just going to say this. I don't know whether it's helpful or not, yeah. but there are a lot of emotionally unhealthy Christians. And mm -hmm. when you're an emotionally unhealthy leader, and I you know, am I emotionally healthy? I don't know. I think when you claim to be emotionally healthy, you probably have some things you need to deal with, but I would say I'm healthier now than I was. Yeah. And I'm certainly the relationships closest to me are much healthier than they were in perhaps the first decade of leadership. But there's a lot of emotional unhealth in the church, in leadership, mm -hmm. and also among people. And I think yeah. sometimes people, including church leaders, uh, they they're emotionally unhealthy, but they gravitate to the church and they claim to be spiritually mature. I'm just trying to wow. think this out and, yeah, and I want to say I, it I well. Like yeah. In other words, you know, I'm really emotionally unhealthy. I'm not going to deal with that, but I'm going to claim that me and God are like this. And so there's a lot of hurt that comes out of that. I was, I was reading through my inbox this morning and comments on, on my website and, you know, so many people just talk about unhealthy cultures. And and I, I, I was part of that. Like in my first decade mm -hmm. of leadership, we had a rapidly growing church for the Canadian context. It was rapidly growing. Yeah. And I had a 
toxic formula for growth in my head, which was, you know, more people equals more hours and mm. that the ends justifies the means. So yeah. there were times we were growing faster than we were losing people, but we were losing people. And there was a season in my life, and that's why the rise and fall of Mars Hill is such a cautionary tale, where I'm like, well, that's just a, a natural body count, and it's all justified by the name of Jesus. And then, right. you know, it wasn't wow. quite that extreme, but sure, deep down, sure. you're like, hey, people come, people go, but more good is happening than bad. And then yeah. I went through a personal crash in uh, 2006 that okay. just about took me out. It was an emotional wow. collapse, just too much physical exhaustion. By the grace of God, I didn't do anything stupid. I had a good counselor, yep. great people around me. I slowly came back. And as I got healthier, I realized there doesn't have to be a body count. And right. we're not a cult. People can come, people can go. But when they go, how do we honor them? How do we, how do we bless them? How do we, you know, when staff go, they don't have to be bad people. They can be great people who are called to something else. And I started to learn healthier rhythms. And I just wish the church would get the memo. I wish, you know, Pete Scazzaro, I know you probably yeah. know Pete, like he's done amazing stuff with emotionally healthy discipleship. And I just wish we would get the memo. And I wish church leaders would get healthy because their family is paying a price. Yeah. My wife paid a price. My kids paid a price. Um, the people around me paid a, a price. And now my definition of success at this stage of life, as I've reconstructed my life over the last you know, decade and a half, uh -huh. is I want the people closest to me to have the best experience of me. Well, That's if that so was true, Carlos, as a church leader, and I was able to lead yeah. in that, that mantra for about 10 years after yeah. I burned out, you know, I, I think a lot less people would get hurt and so healthy wow. churches can be hard to find, but they're out there. And mm. I would, I would, and, and it's not necessarily that large churches are terrible churches. There's some really healthy large churches and there's some horribly dysfunctional small churches. Yeah. But I just wish leaders would get the memo. And that's part of why I do what I do these days is I, I want to, I want to help leaders get healthy. Yes. Yes. Well, you're really, you're really good at that. One, one last caveat off of the last thing that you just said so, okay. And I get this all the time. Someone's like, Carlos, how do I find a healthy church? How do I, <laughs> I like, like, how, how do I do it? Like, like, is it just Russian roulette? Am I just, you know, you know, do I just close my eyes and open up the yellow pages? People are younger than 40. They don't know what the yellow pages are, but, and, and put my <laughs> finger on a, uh, on a church. Like, like how, how do you find one? Yeah, it's hard, uh, <laughs> yeah. very hard to do. What I would say is no church is going to be perfect because we're basically a bunch of people in need of redemption. All right, yeah. I am a person in need of redemption. Hopefully the 60-year-old version of Carrie is a better version of Carrie than the mid-50-year-old version of Carrie. Yeah. Like I hope to continue to make progress. It's not like I don't hurt people anymore. I just hope I hurt a lot fewer people a lot yes, less sure. hard than I did before. So there's that. I would say, you know what the temptation is here? Okay, so there's two temptations. One is, yes. I'm going to do my own spirituality. I'm going to do meism. So it's going to be me and my books and my Bible and my God. And the problem with that is the way I see it, you know, and that's where the culture is. It's you do you, sure. you do you. Uh, I am the person who's gotten myself into every bad situation in my entire life. Like, mm. I don't trust myself to be a spiritual guide for me. Okay. So I look to other people. And, and so I don't think self-directed spirituality is really going to lead you down the path that you hoped it would because you keep yeah. bumping into you. Secondly, I think a lot of people are going to be tempted to do online Christianity exclusively. Right mm -hmm. now, the numbers are in single digits, but it's like, well, I watch Christine Kane or I listen to Mike right. Todd or I, you know, do the belonging.co online. So I do that. And that's good enough. Like, that's fine. The challenge with that is you're not actually in authentic community. You're not really like maybe you're in an online group and that's okay. But if you're just consuming, sure. the challenge with that is you've got to bump up against people that you don't like and who are not like you. And perhaps yeah. hopefully in a great church, vote differently than you. So our line, we did online church for a while uh, before the pandemic was, yeah, if you love our church online and we had, you know, viewers from around the world, it's like, great. But a C plus local experience is better than an A plus online experience. Wow. So- can you find a church in your community 
that's fine. We're, they actually know your name and you can be part of a small group and you can serve there and you can invite your friends there and then use us to supplement if you want. But I think that's really where community is, is lived out. We have this idyllic picture of the early church, but then, you know, I've read First Corinthians. It didn't go so well. There were lots of issues. And basically, if you really look at the New Testament through the lens of a, of, of a historic document, I believe it's inspired word of God, all that. But you look at it, it's like a whole bunch of Christians that don't know how to get along. And Paul's like, hey, you over there. No, 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 no. No, and yeah. you can't do that either. Hey, whoa, whoa, stop, guys. What is going on? And thankfully, that became the New Testament. And that is the community that God used. You know, there's an apocryphal story because it's so easy to be so cynical with humans where, and it's totally made up, but I think it makes sure. a good point. Jesus goes back to heaven and <laughs> the angels are gathering around and they're like, uh, so what's the plan now? Like you're resurrected. And he looks at his, his 11 disciples because Judas is already gone, right? Looks at his right, 11 right. disciples and he's like, uh, that's the plan. And they're like, okay, well, what's plan B? This is not going to go well. And Jesus' answer is, there is no plan B. Yeah. And that's a miracle of the church, right? Like right, I get right. included, messed up Carrie gets included. Carlos, you get included. Like, yep. so uh, now do I think that we should do the wounding that we've done, that we should be as toxic as we are? No, but the experiment is, is an experiment that's been going for 2000 years and God believes in the church and he believes yeah. enough in it that it is his chosen broken vessel. Yeah. I, 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 and I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, um, the church is filled by imperfect people that are following a perfect God. And so, you know, you, you will never find the perfect church. And if you do the second you step into it, it becomes imperfect. And, and <laughs> yeah. so, you know, I, I, I just think, I love how you said that. And, um, you know, I, again, for my listeners that are listening, that are, again, trying the whole idea of having to be in community with people that don't look like you, think like you, talk like you, vote like you, um, and yet yet doing that in a, in a, in a Christ-filled way, I just think is the way to do it, you know? And so if you just do online church, I've got a lot of friends that, that do online church and they do, they're part of community groups and that's the only way they can worship right now. Yeah, right. That's great. Yeah. But, but I definitely would say, you know, if you can, um, get out there and, and just give it a shot. Go, go to a couple, you know, figure out, make some friends. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and ultimately I'm not a psychologist. So, I right. mean, some of your listeners are, <laughs> and they'll correct sure. me on this, but you know, I think when I am disappointed in the quality of a community, there's a certain part of me that it's like, I think I'm really disappointed in myself because yeah. I'm flawed and I'm, socially awkward at times and yeah. I'm, I let people down and I'm not always yeah. the friend that I could be. And when I see that with, within other people, it reminds me of my own shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And yet that's yeah. also where when you break bread with them and community happens, um, that's where transformation really starts. So good. I don't know. It is. It, I just, yeah, no, it's true. It's, it's, it's just a human thing. It's a human connection thing. It's, it's what we needed. And, and again, please hear me. And I've said this before on my podcast. If, if you are a part of an unhealthy, abusive church, leave like, like I, that, oh, yeah. that's not what we're asking you to go to. Uh, but, but I promise you there is a church around you somewhere that would lovingly and gladly um, take you in. So uh, thank you. Somewhere there's words. a humble yeah. leader and a simple yes, community. Yes. That yes, will embrace yes. you. And if you can find humility in the leadership and oh, you can man. find simplicity in the church, like that's, that's a really good thing. And I would agree. There are some terribly toxic environments. I was yeah. reading a, a long email I got from a guy who joined a ministry organization. He's 23 years old. He's been there for two years. They were demanding a hundred hours a week. And like whatever the boss said was fine. And dissent was <laughs> from the enemy, blah, blah, blah. And he quit. And I'm like, wow. wow, well, good for you. But yeah. like, there's a lot of toxic in the church. There's a lot of toxic in the world. So you want to avoid that. On the other hand, yeah. you're going to find an imperfect community and join it because you will be part of the tapestry. That's right. Part of the tapestry. I, you know, gosh, you keep saying things that make me go squirrel and somewhere else in my thought process. But <laughs> what you just said about finding, finding a humble leader with, with simplicity. Carrie, I feel like I, I just spent a year... Um, mentoring a group of pastors um, where 
you know, they, these, these pastors are pastoring in, in America, you know, churches of 300,000, uh, right? And so like in, yeah. in, a, in an American context, you know, some people wouldn't think that those are mega churches or whatever, but these, these guys are, are like, they just want to love their people well. They don't want to write books. They don't want to, you know, be on, have a, you know, download a podcast, whatever. They, they, their desire is just to pastor. And I'd looked at these guys at the end and some of them were frustrated because their churches weren't growing. And I said, can I tell you, I feel like America is ready for you. Like you are the mm. next, you, you, you are the version of pastor that every single person in my DMs is looking for. Like I'm going to send them to you because they don't want sexy and slick and all the things anymore. Like, would you agree that that, that is shifting radically in people's desires and what they're looking for when it comes to a leader? I think so. I've, I've been privileged to interview Tim Keller a couple of times over the last few years. And Tim's one of my favorite uh, leaders and has influenced me tremendously. And I remember we were in his office looking out over New York City and I asked him, you know, about the legacy of Redeemer. And he keeps going back and forth. I've heard him a couple times on this. He says, you know, the, the nice thing is what New York needs is better than one church of 5,000. It needs 10 churches of 500. And then he goes, on the other hand, you know, a church of 5,000 can do things that churches of 500 can't. We can impact the city in a different way. We can resource, we can pour into social services and you can really see, and I don't want to read too much into him. It was two, you sure. know, two conversations, but like this, this tornness to large church versus small church. And I think the answer is we actually need both. We need, mm -hmm. we need a few large churches that are going to be able to have a kingdom impact, uh, perhaps nationally or across a region or to do things, hopefully good things that small churches can't do. But America is a nation of small churches. Canada is a yeah. nation of small churches. And if we just say, well, you've got 86 people, you don't count, or you've got <laughs> 382, or you have 700, you don't matter. You're right. We got to take that kind of, you know, sometimes people call it pastor porn or whatever, but that kind of like, yeah. I got to get bigger. It's got to get, you know, all this stuff. We got to, we got to drop that as the gold standard. And yeah. as we're learning through social influences and all it's cracked up to be either, right? right. To have a hundred K following you on Instagram is not what you thought it was. It's not going to bring you what we thought it was going to bring you. And, you know, humility and simplicity are great virtues. And I think Younger millennials are looking for that. Um, Gen yeah. Z, it would not shock me if they are really looking for that. Wow. So good. So good. Thank you for that. Um, you're, you're, you speak a lot about your own story of burning out. Um, you speak a lot about uh, maybe how you came out of that. Um, you know, there's, there's listeners, you know, I, this, this podcast isn't filled with church leaders. It's filled, sure. you know, it, it's filled with maybe church attenders, maybe non-church attenders, but with yeah. human beings that, that I would assume 2020 has, has brought them as close to, if not burnout as, as any year 2021 as well. Um, so let's, let's maybe shift into that portion yeah. of, uh, of the conversation um, for people that are, First of all, maybe define what burnout is and maybe t tell us a little bit more in detail what your life looked like, because I feel like maybe your story is going to help people go, oh, crap, maybe that's me. Well, very perceptive. I think half the people who are burning out don't even know that they're burning exactly. out because it's yeah. the definition that passes for life now. Y'all know that I travel a ton and people ask me a lot, how, how, how do you stay healthy? How, well, I, I try to eat right. I try to exercise, but Lord have mercy and Lord knows I ain't got time to do that all the time. So I have partnered with Athletic Greens to see if they can help me stay healthy on the road. And let me tell you, it's been about a month and they are doing it for me. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition absolutely easy. I'm so stressed as I travel. I try not to be. My schedule's crazy. I don't sleep as well. So AG1 by Athletic Greens is a category leading superfood product that brings comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition to everybody. Keeping up with the research, knowing what to do and taking a bunch of pills and capsules, it's, it's really hard on the stomach and hard to keep up with. So what do we do to help each one of us be our best 
Athletic Greens brings us AG1. They simplify the path to better nutrition by giving you the one thing with all the best things. Now, one scoop of AG1 contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, including multivitamins, multiminerals, probiotics, greens, all that stuff that you know your mom is telling you you got to be doing. This is it, guys. And this is what's going to happen. If you, we're going to make it easy for you guys, okay? If you join and sign up for Athletic Greens and the AG1 product, Athletic Greens is going to give you one year, a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit athleticgreens.com slash human hope today, again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash human hope to take control of your health and give AG one a try. So, um, there's there's a couple of, of grades of burnout. I had a pretty severe form of burnout where uh, after a decade of pedal to the metal, you know, running hard, long hours, workaholism, seven days a week, growing a church in Jesus' name, one day my body called a strike and it shocked me because people had said for years, Carrie, you're going to burn out. Like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. That's for weaklings. And then one day I just woke up. My passion was gone. My joy was gone. My energy was gone. I had brain fog. And like, you can ignore the precursors, but when you're really burned out, you're like, okay, my body just quit on me. And so that's what happened to me in 2006. But there's another form of burnout because I've had the privilege of working with thousands of people on burnout over the last few years as I've tried to help people through it. I call it low-grade burnout. And my working definition of low-grade burnout is that the functions of life continue, but the joy of life is gone. Basically, you feel numb. You're like, yeah, I used to be excited about my marriage. And I'm, I'm getting up every day and I'm taking the kids to soccer and I'm making lunches and I'm going to work and I'm doing all the things. But like, I don't love any of it anymore. I just kind of feel flat. I feel numb. And when I share that definition, people, the light bulbs start to go on and, you know, signs you should look for, uh, your energy is, is low all the time. We all get tired at a certain point of a day, take a nap, you feel better, but like, you're just low energy all the time. Everybody and everything drains you, your kids drain you, your marriage drains you. There's always draining people, but when everything drains you, that's an issue. Your passion is fading. You're just not passionate about anything. Mm. You do feel numb, but when the emotions come, they're inappropriate. So okay. uh, you freak out. Like, you know, your 10-year-old was supposed to take out the trash, doesn't take out the trash, and you're like, ah, bah, 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 bah. you know, yeah. it's an issue, but it's a three out of 10, but you had a volcanic reaction to that. And on the other hand, you hear that somebody has cancer and you know you're supposed to be sad, but you just kind of like, oh, Okay. And, mm. and so our emotions don't really work well. Um, sometimes self-medication is the third glass of wine. It's the fourth bourbon. It's um, drugs that you're taking that are not as prescribed. Uh, another one is sleep and rest no longer refuel you. Okay. So sleep and rest are supposed to be cause and effect. You go to bed, get, out, get, get eight hours yep. sleep. You feel better the next day. Mm. When you're burning out, either low grade or full on burnout, what will happen is you take three days off, you three day weekend. Okay. I took Friday off. You sleep, you have a nap, Monday hits, you're still comatose. So signs like that, you're probably burned out. And it's funny because it started in the 1970s. I did some research on this for my book, but as a medical term to describe the condition that doctors were going through. So doctors famously in their internships would be pulling 24-hour shifts, seven days a week, very little sleep, improper nutrition, and then they couldn't hack it. It's like, I'm not a robot, right? And so they developed the term in the 1970s, burnout, to describe doctors. Then it kind of became a work term. And I think what's happened over the last decade is, no, it's a life condition now. You don't have to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, a stockbroker, you're just burning out because you're alive. And I think our technology has made it harder because you're always on uh, notifications about every bad story in the world are coming at you 24 hours a day. And you're just like, you know, you need some hope and people just don't have it. Yeah. So give us the hope. So somebody's listening to this going like, well, Carrie just 
checked off seven <laughs> things that are happening currently in my life right now. And thanks, Carrie. Now I don't have to go to the doctor to get diagnosed with burnout. You just did it. Help me get hmm. out of it. What, what, what do we need to, what do we just go burn all the phones and move to uh, monasteries? And um, like, like, what is it, what is it that we got to do? It would help. You know, that is one solution, <laughs> probably a pretty radical one. Uh, but assuming you want to live in a city with other human beings, we probably yeah. need a better strategy. So I, I, I'm going to give you some advice that I can give in a couple of minutes, but I, I want you to understand this took three to five years to rebuild in real life for me. So hopefully this is a okay. shortcut, but for me, it was a lot of good counseling. There were unhealthy patterns in my workaholism. I was a performance addict. So if you're a workaholic, why are you always at the office? Why does a laptop never close? What is it about you that insists that to be valuable, you have to keep working? Ask yourself those questions. So I had, I had some counseling and that also helped me become a healthier human and a better husband and a better dad and a better boss. So, so do the digging. It's painful. It's, it's long, it's expensive, but it's much cheaper than a divorce and it's much cheaper than being a not very nice human for the rest of your life. So I, I did that. And then the other thing, I think, you know, when, when I tried to isolate this for the book, yeah. I said the problem is an unsustainable pace because what most of us are living at, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or whether you work part-time or you hold down three jobs or you're a professional in an office, whatever, whatever you happen to be doing, most of us are running at an unsustainable pace. So people Absolutely. find themselves overcommitted, overworked, and overwhelmed. I'm just always overwhelmed. Every time I look at my phone, there's 10 new things. The kids have this. The neighbors want me to do X. My mom is asking me to do Y, right? We're just overwhelmed, overcommitted, overworked. And a lot of us falsely look to vacations, weekends, spas. Let's get to the ocean. Let's just make it to Christmas. Let's make it to spring break. Let's make it to summer holidays. Oh, we're going to get this idyllic cabin up in the mountains. We're going to be there for a month, which is great. Like I'm a big fan of rest, but the problem Absolutely. is we've all done that. We know how to, we know how to rest well. Sunday isn't your problem, right? Your problem is you take a month off at the ocean, up at a cabin in the mountains, and you come back Monday at 11 a.m. and it's like you got hit by the bus. So Boom. what is that? It was an unsustainable pace. And when your everyday life is an unsustainable pace and you don't have good boundaries, that's when you really start to struggle. So what I had to do, and this is what took the time, was okay. to create a sustainable pace. Because I thought, you know, when you're, if you're truly burned out, and some of your listeners will be truly burned out, you feel so bad. I was like, I'll do anything to get back to normal. And then I realized, wait a minute, normal got me hit by the truck. So I'm not going back to that normal. I got to right. find a new one. So I started through counseling, coaching. I hired coaches, leadership coaches, time management coaches. I hire, I read books, you know, I, I did everything I could. It's like you, when the patient is sick, uh, he or she will do whatever <laughs> they need to Absolutely. to get well. So I was doing that. And then after about five years, I'm like, okay, I figured out my new normal. And, and the moniker is this. Live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. So what do you need to do today to help you thrive tomorrow? So I knew I had this interview with you. I knew I had an interview before that. I have an interview after. I've got a bunch of work that I have to do in my company, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I knew, I said to Tony, my wife last night, it's like, hey, let's go to bed at 930. I want to be really fresh for these conversations. Because if I had stayed up till midnight binging on Netflix, mm -hmm. yep. you know, I'd be blowing off answers and moving quickly through it. Um, you know, it's five categories for me. It's spiritual margin. Think of it as margin. Margin is extra. Okay. And I'm at my most kind when I have the most margin. So I want spiritual margin. I want my I'm a person of faith, my relationship with God to be good. Started that first thing this morning. I want emotional margin. We had a couple of dinners with friends, new friends in California over the weekend. And they were four hour dinners, man. Those are great. You know, when you laugh <laughs> yeah. so hard, you cry and nobody wants to go home. They were very life-giving. So we had a relational margin. Uh, Tony and I are in a healthy place in our marriage. We have emotional margin. Uh, physical margin. 
So I went for a 5K run this morning because I know when I exercise, I feel better. And then financial margin. And that's not about like being rich. It's just there sure. are people with 30,000 who make $30,000 a year and have money in the bank and people who make $300,000 a year and have debt up to their eyeballs. So you just right. want to have margin regardless of how much you have. If I have margin in those five categories, uh-huh. I do great. If I start to draw down on those and then I, I start to really struggle. So another, another real solution that really helped me, and this is the feedback I'm getting from the people that I, I help with this material, is time management is one thing, lots of good books out there. Energy management is another. Energy wow. management, I, I want you to think about your day. So I'd, I'd be curious about your answer to this, Carlos. Yeah. Because I've known you for many, many years. But like, and, and I imagine at one point, you were definitely an owl or a, a night owl, right? Night owl yes. at one point? At Are you still I a was, night owl? I'm uh-huh. no longer a night owl. Okay. So musician, that whole like artist oh, vibe that, when, probably when I, when I went from like, when I was touring and I was writing music and I was, you know, it was 3 a.m. I mean, that's when, the, that's when all the stuff was happening. And then I'd wake up at 11 and no longer is that the, the case. <laughs> Not only because I'm just an old man now, but because I just realized, you know what, for, for me, like I just... When I'm up early in the morning, I I probably get five times more done than I ever did at night. So, yeah. Isn't that interesting? So, uh, current Carlos, you're a morning person? Yep. I'm a morning person. Yep. Like six Same with me. 6 a.m. Yeah. I'll get up around 5.30, between 5 and 6, and I'll yep. have an hour just private time, personal time, uh, time with God. And then by 7, 7 to 11... That's fantastic. And almost everybody knows, hey, you got hours in the day where you're kind of at your best. You're feeling sharp. You're alive. You're go get them. Um, Some people, it will be night. Some people, uh, I guess the majority of people are actually afternoon, according to the research, the studies. They might be between 10 and 2 or 1 and 5 or something like that. For me, it's a morning person. And what I used to do, we have 24 equal hours in a day. Not all hours are created equal. They don't produce equally and they don't feel equal. Um, And so think about this. I'll break this down a little bit. So your best in the morning, is there a time of day where you start to drag, where you're like, oh, more caffeine or like, let me get a nap or a run or something? What, right what around now, like right, right around, <laughs> like, like, like one, one, I'm, I'm like, oh, thank God for Carrie because he's got all the good words right now. Cause it, like, I'd say around one o'clock, like, like one o'clock, one Central o'clock. Is like after, after lunch. And I'm like, oh man, like, like, am I even any good to planet earth right now? So. Right. And we, that's being human, man. That's being human. Yeah. And mine is four to six in the afternoon. I'm normally Eastern okay. time in Toronto, but four to six in the afternoon. That's when I'm like, I have three brain cells left. Do not ask me yeah. any questions because the answer is no. Um, I'm grumpy. I'm tired. And I either yep. need a nap, I need to exercise, or I need to caffeinate. One of the three. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're all like that. So we think robotically. We think we are our laptop that we will just run all day long on a power source. And we're not, we're humans. And so what what I realized, divide your day into three zones, green, yellow, red. Green, you're at your best. You're like, ideas are flowing. You're in the flow. You've got, um, you're in a good mood. uh, You're creative, you're thoughtful. Red zone being one o'clock for you, four o'clock for me. There's usually one or two of those hours. And then yellow is everything in between. So what I used to do, because I was a preacher for 20 years, most important thing I could do as a preacher, and you know this as a, as a communicator and writer yourself, is produce great content. I have to produce a great sermon for the weekend. But I was the king of breakfast meetings. So I'd go to a breakfast meeting, and you know how they run. You meet at the restaurant at 7. It's supposed to be over at 8, but it's not over at 8. It's like 8.30. Then you yep. go to a drive-thru, grab a coffee, you get into the office. Everyone's like, hey, Carlos, what's up, man? And you're chatting with people. It's 9, 30, 10. You look at your phone. There's like eight text messages. Then you open your inbox. It's like, yikes. Wow. And next thing you know, it's lunch. And then you get pulled into a meeting at one o'clock in the afternoon. And then you're tired. You go into your inbox again. Next thing you know, it's four o'clock. What have you gotten done? Nothing. Right. Nothing. It completely like the day just blew up. And then I'm a preacher. I go home. What do I have to do? I have to go write my sermon at night when I'm yeah. not fresh. And then I start over again Tuesday. It's like, hey, I'll get to it Tuesday. Next thing you know, it's Thursday. And like the creative team is like, where's that outline? So what I started doing, I, I 
protected my green zone. So whenever your green zone is, start protecting it and do what you're best at. What's the most valuable activity you can bring to your life or to your work? So for me these days, it's writing. I'm a writer. I write on my website. I'm writing an article for the Wall Street Journal. I'm doing stuff like that. I got to do that in the morning. And sorry, no breakfast meeting, man. Like I'm just, I can meet you at lunch in my yellow zone. We can even go running together in my red zone if you want. Yeah. But- that green zone is mine and nothing gets on my calendar without it. If you start doing what you're best at, your most valuable activity, when you're at your best, you will start to see exponential returns. Wow. That's so good, man. I love that. And you know, the, the funny, Carrie's talking about the yellow, the red, the green, but on the cover of your book, you actually have like a yellow, red, and green, like little chart up there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is actually and- something, this is something that people can actually like, you know, uh, hopefully through 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 some of your writing and your coaching, actually maybe narrowed down even more specifically than what you gave us right now. We want to help. Uh, I find with a lot of young leaders, like because uh, I work with leaders of all age, but if you're in your 20s, your green zone may not be obvious. Number one, you don't have a lot of agency, so you're not exactly the CEO at that point, probably. Right. So you go to work when your boss tells you to work, and this person said you need to be here, so you're there. So I've got some um, techniques. You can go to atyourbesttoday.com and uh, there's a lot of information about the book, but there's also downloadable resources too. So you can chart your own energy clock. And then a lot of people aren't 100% sure. Well, okay, I know you find out your green zone when that is. And by the way, there's only three to five hours. Brain research shows that's about when we're at our peak. So I had one person say I have eight. I'm like, I don't think so. And on a good day, (laughs) I have five. Most days I have three. So, because yep. if you're a writer, you've written books, right? Like, yeah. what is a successful day of writing a book for you? Is it like 18 yeah. hours sitting at the laptop? No. What is it? How many no, words is you. like a good day, dude? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, many, you're asking how many me words? like a, a yeah. good day, a good day is 5,000 words, you know, and, and those oh, aren't going to be, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not going to lie. Like I, like the, my writing is probably the strongest of my gift sets when it comes to like pumping out content. So 5,000 words is a good day. Um, and again, those are, those are unedited. Maybe we'll right. get ripped to shreds words, but, but yeah. So like for me, it's like five. And so I can normally get that done in about, you know, and I, I love this cause, cause the, what the, what you're talking about, like I've, you know, I, I guess through the years didn't really realize what I was doing, but found like, okay, so when I start writing at 6am, And like, that's like my sweet spot, man. Like 6 a.m. If I have my cup of coffee, I open my laptop up. I put on my Chronicles of Narnia soundtrack in my ears. I open up my writing app and I just go and I grind and and I'll I'll write for about two hours and then I'll take a little 30 minute break and then I'll write for another hour. And I can, a good day is 5,000, a bad day. There's no bad day when it comes to writing, but you know, I'm disappointed if I, if I don't have over a thousand. So. Okay. See, that is so helpful. And individual mileage will vary. I'm happy if I write for three hours and I get a thousand good words. Yeah. And that's, that's great. Now, some of my blog posts, you know, there'll be three or 4,000 words. I can bang those off a lot more quickly than a book. Yeah. But yeah, that's the point, right? What is your most important work? So if you're at home with your kids, here's here's how a Saturday for me as a dad would play Mm -hmm. out. I'm like, I'm a doer. So I want to get that lawn mowed. I want to get the garage organized. I'll I'll wake up. And I'll spend my green zone doing all that stuff. And then, you know, the kids will want to hang out. And by one o'clock, I'm like, I'm just tired. I want to go lie on the couch. And I don't honestly, as much as I love a clean garage, I don't think clean garage is my greatest contribution to my family. That probably the kids time is. So what I want to do, and I wish I'd picked this up earlier, is you want to, on your days off, if you're going to have story time with your young kids, or you're going to play, you know, basketball with your kids in the driveway, do it when you're not exhausted, like give them your yeah. best energy. So you're not, you're not the parent who's like, when is this thing going to be over? Which we've all thought as parents. Yep. So you can adjust this for your life. You can adjust it at work. One of the questions that pops up a lot, Carlos, cause you and I pretty much call our own shots, right? If it's like, yeah, yeah I'm not coming right. in Friday. We don't have to come in. But if you work for someone else or with someone else, uh, people are like, see, it doesn't work for me. Well, analyze your work. Like if you're a barista, that's what you do. Yeah, you got to sling macchiatos until the day's over, right? You don't have a lot of autonomy. But for Mm -hmm. those of us who are in office jobs, like white collar work, 
in knowledge worker environments, uh, you have a lot more control than you think. And as I polled leaders and I said, okay, 40 hour work week, how many command performance meetings do you actually have? And the average is five to 12 hours of like, well, I got to be at staff meeting and then I've got my meeting one-on-one with my boss. And then we've got this marketing meeting and then we've got creative team, you know, that usually somewhere between five and 12 hours. But if you play it to the extremes, let's say it was half your, your working time, 20 hours a week, which I've never heard anybody say, but let's just assume one of your um, listeners says the worst case scenario. You know what that gives sure. you control over? 88% of your week, 168 wow. hours in the week. You have control over 88%. So you can move the rest of the dials over there while, um, you know, you, you've got 12 to 20 hours a week where you don't have any agency. For the rest, you have agency. No, the government is not making you go to soccer six nights a week. Nobody's forcing right. you to do that. Those are choices. No, that is so good. I mean, just to flip it like that and to look at it that way, because, yeah, I mean, that, that that's the truth. You know, there's a lot of moms that are listening to this that are like, listen, my kid's going to wake me up no matter what at 5 a.m. and I'm going to have to feed until whatever and I've got to have to clean and I've got to I've got all these responsibilities, you know, even even if it's a dad that's staying at home or whoever it may be, all of this is applicable to whether you're in the business force, whether you're at home, we we can all get burned out. Everyone can get burned yeah. out. It's it's not it's not just the people that are in corporate Oh yeah. I, I, I talked to our mutual friend, Annie F Downs about this. Uh, and she said, you know, men, men get like a burnout leave and everything. Women, they just call that life, right? Like yeah. you just live perpetually burned out. I'm like, Annie, that's why you're Annie, man. And, um, so you know, and, and I would say too, I, I did, you know, I've got two sons they are in their twenties now, but uh, yeah, you can, you can, you've got to adjust your expectations. Like maybe you're not going to write a book in your thirties. That's okay. It's yeah. not the end of the world. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of life left on the other side of kids growing up and, and leaving home. Or maybe you're like, okay, my green zone is going to be one hour, not yeah. five. Cause that's yeah. what I have control over. But if you leverage that one hour a day, it's amazing. It's like this thing. I interviewed this guy a few years ago, Andrew Mellon from New York, and he professionally organizes people's homes and okay. people get so overwhelmed, right? With the basement or the garage or the closet that never, he's like, if you have 20 minutes and you're like, I'm going to do that shelf. And then you come yeah. back at it the next day, 20 minutes, I'm going to do that shelf. And then that shelf by Friday, your closet's clean, or you've made some progress and that motivates you. So you might have to scale it down to an hour a day, but if you reclaim agency and, and if you need to, like I, you know, I, I upgrade my phone all the time. First thing I do, shut off all notifications. If you just mm. do that, yeah. Like that is so much peace of mind because it's like, I don't know who texted me while we're having this conversation. I have no idea, but you know what? I know this conversation is going to go on for an hour or so. I will look at my phone when I choose to look at my phone. Yeah. And people are like, well, what if I miss an emergency? Well, the police will knock at my door and they will let me know that something catastrophic and life altering has happened. And yep. Most days that doesn't happen. So I'm probably okay to look at my phone an hour from now, two hours from now, tonight. I'm not going to miss that much. That's good. That's good. All of this information um, is in Carrie's most recent book, At Your Best. Carrie, where where can, I think you gave a website earlier in the conversation. Where can people go to find out a lot of this content? So you can go to atyourbesttoday.com for information on the book. And I think there's a link there, but if you want to figure out like how burned out are you, you can go to burnoutindicator.com. My team and I put together a non-scientific, but based on thousands of interviews we've done, conversations we've had with people, a burnout quiz. So burnoutindicator.com or atyourbesttoday.com will get you to all that stuff. Atyourbesttoday.com. Uh, Carrie, thanks so much, man. This has been so good. Um, I, I am, <laughs> I, I, this has been very helpful for me again, if not one person even downloaded my podcast, I'm just grateful for your wisdom and for, you know, how much you care and all the work that you put into this. And, and again, Carrie's somebody that, you know, you're constantly helping people. You're a helper. And so, um, I just want to say thank you. Just thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the human hope family to you. You've just been so good, man. Thanks so much. Carlos, I so appreciate you. And every time we get together, you remind me why I enjoy it so much. You're a huge blessing. I'm just, 
I am just blown away by how many times, like we've known each other for over a decade and how many times yeah. you've done this pivot. And it's just always fascinating to see. And you're always helping just thousands, millions of people. And I want you to know, I'm truly grateful for your friendship and really grateful for this. And we'll get you back on my show again soon. I mean, are the human hope new friends and family not the best, right? Carrie, thank you, thank you, thank you. I I have things to apply right away in my life. And hopefully that you guys are going to go to the website that Carrie talked about. Take those free quizzes. See where you're kind of at. What Are you yellow? Are you red? Are you green? And start taking back control of your lives. Carrie, you are a godsend to so many of us. And familia, listen, human hope listeners, I am grateful that you tune in every single week. Next week, I'm coming back and it's just going to be me and my wife, Heather. You guys are going to love this conversation. We're going to be tackling some of the harder questions that you guys have about faith these days. And I tell you what, if there's ever anyone that you guys love to hear talk about it, it is my wife, Familia. I've enjoyed hanging out with you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening to Human Hope Podcast. It's really helpful if you guys subscribe, subscribe, and share, share, share. Let everybody know. It really helps me. And listen, don't be scared to go check out those sponsors. It helps the show stay alive as well. I love you guys, and I'll see you guys next week on Human Hope.